Hi, I'm Kathy with a C. And I'm Kathy with a K. And this is Killer Destinations. Today's destination is Columbus, Ohio. Columbus is the state capital of Ohio and the 14th most populous city in the United States. And with a population of over 2.1 million residents, it is the second largest city in the Midwest next to Chicago. That's shocking. I know. I I was actually surprised. Columbus is also home to the Ohio State University, a highly ranked public university with one of the largest college campuses in the nation. According to experiencecolumbus.com, the Columbus community likes to dream big and let nothing stop them from turning today's dreams into better tomorrows. One young resident was trying to do just that, but in 1982, her dreams came to a violent end. Patricia Shannon was a shining star with a bright future ahead of her. Patricia's father, a brigadier general, and her mother, a registered nurse, taught Patricia and her three siblings the importance of values, education, and hard work. By the age of 28, it was clear that Patricia had fully embraced the values that her parents had taught her. She had obtained a Bachelor of Arts in Mathematics from The Ohio State University, was working toward a graduate degree in physics, and studying computer science, you know, on the side. What a smarty pants. Anyone who has math majors should be rocking the stock market. Absolutely. That's what I would do if I were a math major, but I was never that smart, so hey. And and I wonder what the (laughs) stock market was like in 82. I don't know. Maybe, Maybe it wasn't worth it. Patricia was so intelligent that she actually understood Einstein's theory of relativity. You know, that's funny because we've heard this our whole lives. Always. But I have no idea. What does idea. it mean? I have no idea what it's about. I have no idea. I can idea. tell you because I looked it up. <laughs> I, I see. I'm sure you can explain it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I can't. Well, I just said I looked it up. I know. This was the theory formulated by world-renowned theoretical physicist Albert Einstein in 1905 that is essentially the theory of gravity. Oh, thank you so much. It's so clear in my mind now. I'm glad I could clear that up for you. (laughs) You're welcome. One of the things I read about Patricia was that when she realized she understood the theory of relativity, she threw her friends a champagne party. We could have been friends with her. 100%. And um, I understand the theory. So does that mean you're going to throw me a champagne party? I just read it to you. (laughs) Shut up and drink your Prosecco. (laughs) Patricia was also fiercely independent. The love of Patricia's life was her horse, Oki. Oki was a dapple gray Appaloosa, and Patricia saw him five to six times a week. Patricia loved to show and ride Oki whenever she had free time. Patricia was athletic and confident and was afraid of nothing. She truly believed she could handle anything that came her way. On Friday night, May 21st, 1982, Patricia decided to have a few drinks at a bar called Dick's Den. And by the way, it sounds like only bad things can happen at a bar called Dick's Den. (laughs) (laughs) Dick's was a small local pub that was not far from her home, and Patricia's car was being repaired, so she walked there. Patricia spent most of the evening at Dick's hanging out with her friends. At around 1 a.m., Patricia decided to leave to head over to Lido's, which was another small bar. Two people offered her a ride, but she declined because she preferred to walk. Patricia had a beer at Lido's and then decided to walk home at 2.20 a.m. Patricia was only about a quarter mile from her house when Jack Limley spotted her. 26-year-old Jack Limley had been drinking and smoking marijuana. 
He was driving home after a night out and noticed Patricia walking alone down a quiet residential street. He pulled his car over, rolled his window down, and asked Patricia if she needed a ride. Her response was to tell him to leave her alone, and this enraged him. Patricia kept walking, so Limley pulled his car over, got out, and approached her. According to witnesses who heard the confrontation, Limley said, I told you to come here. Patricia again told him to leave her alone. He then said, shut up, bitch, and began beating her in the face. Neighbors later told the police they heard many blows. They said the cries of leave me alone got weaker and weaker and then stopped. Nobody called the police because they thought it was just another domestic squabble. Like that just makes me so angry. I know. When clearly somebody, male or female, clearly somebody is in distress and needs help. And it was just written off as like, oh, that's between other people. It's not our business. Yeah. Limley then threw Patricia over his shoulder and grabbed her purse. He threw her and her purse into the back seat of his car and drove off. Limley then drove a short distance to a quiet, deserted side street and took Patricia out of the back seat. A couple who lived in the neighborhood looked out their window and saw Limley kneeling over a woman. The couple called police thinking they had witnessed a drug transaction. The couple looked out the window again and saw Limley throw Patricia onto the hood of his car and drive away. Limley then drove at a high rate of speed down the street and into a church parking lot. He hit a fence post and Patricia rolled off the hood and onto the gravel. Limley then drove his car to the other side of a freeway overpass and parked on a wooded service road. Kath, I read somewhere that police thought he had placed her body on the hood And it was his intention to drive at a high rate of speed, then slam on the brakes, throwing her body into a drainage ditch next to the church. But instead, he hit the post and she fell off there. Oh, gosh. After Limley had driven away to hide his car or put it where nobody would notice it, still alive and fighting to live, Patricia was able to crawl about 50 feet toward the street where there were houses where she could get help. Then Limley came back. He found Patricia crawling for help, took her by her feet, and dragged her back to a darker area near the church where he undressed her and removed his shirt. I can't possibly imagine. She's in this parking lot. She's crawling toward the street, thinking he drove away. He's gone. And she just needed to make it to the house or to one of the houses. Exactly. And then he comes back. Talk about your worst nightmare. Oh, my God. Later, police realized how close Patricia was to getting help. One of her teeth and blood were found right on the edge of the street. So I am assuming, although I did not read it, that they estimate she crawled 50 feet simply based on blood trails. That's my assumption. And that's what I read as well. While Limley was in the process of assaulting Patricia, police arrived at the church. They illuminated the parking lot with their cruiser's headlights And in the field beyond the parking lot, they saw Limley, shirtless, standing over Patricia's body, and his hands were wrapped around her neck. The minute Limley saw police, he took off running. One officer went after him, and a call was put out to other officers in the area that the suspect was on the run. The second officer went to help Patricia. 
When the officer arrived at her body, he found Patricia with her arms outstretched. Her breasts were exposed and she was naked from the waist down with her legs spread apart. Her face was so bloody she could not be recognized. A few minutes later, Limley was apprehended and arrested and covered in Patricia's blood. The crime scene itself, of course, was horrible, and the coroner's report documented the suffering Patricia Shannon experienced on that night. At the hands of Jack Limley, Patricia suffered a laceration to her eyebrows, black eyes, broken nose, broken jaw, actually lacerations and abrasions all over her body, a missing tooth, and hemorrhaging to her neck and larynx. It was obvious to the coroner that Patricia put up an incredible fight to survive. And then, of course, Kath, we found out later that Limley, I believe, had scratches on his back, correct? He did. Okay. The coroner could not find any evidence of rape because there were no traumas to that area of her body. And it was believed that the police arrived before Limley could finish what he started. They found blood on the hood of his car, as well as in the back seat. And Patricia's purse was also found in the back seat of his car. In the end, it was determined that Patricia died as a result of blunt force trauma to her head, strangulation, and choking on her own vomit. Each of these could have caused Patricia's death, so it was impossible for the coroner to determine what the exact order or exact cause was. One week after Patricia's murder, the case was brought before a grand jury in Franklin County, Ohio. On count one, the grand jury found that Jack Limley did purposely cause the death of Patricia Shannon while committing or attempting to commit kidnapping and or rape and or aggravated robbery. On count two, the grand jury found that Limley did engage in sexual conduct by force or threat of force. In count three, they found that Limley had kidnapped Patricia. And count four, they found Limley did use a glass bottle and or knife to inflict serious physical harm. Now, Kath, you and I talked about grand jury proceedings in the past, but they're basically secret proceedings, and the purpose is to say, is there enough evidence to show this person committed a crime? And if the grand jury finds that there is, then the district attorney will file charges. Well, but also what you didn't talk about with the grand jury is that the defendant is not allowed to be there, the defendant's counsel is not allowed to be there, nor do they publish a transcript usually of what happens in the in the jury. That's correct. Most states don't allow the defense to present evidence at a grand jury. In Ohio, if it's a felony case, it's going to go to the grand jury. Oh, it's required by Ohio law? Correct. The prosecution wound up charging Limley with aggravated murder, which is essentially first-degree murder, which means premeditation, planning it out, and it had death penalty specifications. At this time in Ohio, if Limley had been found guilty of a capital crime, it would have been death by the electric chair. Limley was also charged with attempted rape and kidnapping, as well as aggravated robbery for stealing Patricia's purse. The Franklin County Prosecutor's Office was represented by Assistant Prosecutors Pat Sheeran and Thomas Beal. And according to BlockParole.com, they are two excellent victim-oriented prosecutors. Limley got free representation from the public defender's office, who enlisted the services of Gary Schweikert and James Cura, two well-known criminal defense attorneys. At this time in Ohio, I read that they had obtained a federal grant 
that had to do with using private attorneys for capital murder cases or actually cases of habitual offenders. Was it based on the fear that because they were habitual offenders, they weren't getting adequate representation or maybe people had given up on them? Right. That was exactly it. It was how these two lawyers became the defense attorneys for Jack Limley because he was considered a habitual offender. That's interesting because I know that there are panel attorneys who are private attorneys, but they're on a panel with the public defender's office. So if the public defender's office is overworked, I mean, that's kind of usually the situation. Right. That if they're overworked, then the defendant can have a panel attorney. However, you know, you don't get to charge 600 bucks an hour. Right. There's a different rate that they're going to charge. Exactly. And so maybe in this situation, because there was grant funding, they were able to... Probably charge a higher rate, if not full freight. Yeah, exactly. According to the prosecutors, they had a massive amount of evidence to convict Limley. The evidence included the police officer who actually witnessed Limley with his hands around Patricia's throat... And they also had Limley's own words in which he admitted to assaulting and transporting Patricia to the church parking lot and removing her clothes. They also had all the blood in and on the car and her torn purse in his vehicle. Right. Defense attorneys knew it was very likely that a jury would find Limley guilty of the charges. So on October 4th, 1982, Limley waived his right to a trial by a jury of his peers and elected to be tried by a three-judge panel of the Court of Common Pleas of Franklin County, Ohio. The three-judge panel would have to be unanimous on the questions of guilt or innocence, and if the judges found the defendant to be guilty, they would also have to all agree on the sentence that would be imposed. Judges Frederick T. Williams, J.C. Flowers, and George G. Tyak were assigned to be the members of the three-judge panel. You know, Kathy, as a side note here, just doing this podcast, I read a lot of court of appeal cases and things like that. And it's the court of common pleas. And I looked it up because it's clearly from English common law. Yeah, you don't hear courts being described as that. Right. But there are actually a lot of courts west of our state that still call the trial court level the court of common pleas. Really? Yeah. So we were an English colony and most of our legal system is derived from English common law. And in England, the Court of Common Pleas goes back to the 12th century, and they were doing the Court of Common Pleas for just regular citizens of England. And then it became um, like basically solidified into law when King John signed the Magna Carta in 1215. But now I'm going down a vortex, so I'm going to stop. Bonjour, parlez-vous français? Me neither, (laughs) despite the fact that I paid for it in college, which is why I need Rosetta Stone, and so do you. As you all know, I've used Rosetta Stone in the past for my German, and it's wonderful. And in fact, my niece is going to be studying abroad this fall, and she's going to be using Rosetta Stone so that she can learn the language and have a much more enriching experience while she's abroad. Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. And they have speech recognition, which gives you feedback on your pronunciation. They also have two different options available to use it. It's available both on your desktop and through an app. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Killer Destinations listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. 
Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Trial began six months after Patricia was killed. Is that fast, Kathy? Very fast. I th- I think so anyway, but I, who knows how clogged the courts were in Ohio 40 years ago, you but know? But a capital case with death penalty specification, I know, I know. it just seemed fast to me. Yeah. According to the prosecutor, the evidence against Limley was overwhelming, and they felt confident that the judges would easily find him guilty of aggravated murder and sentence him to death in the electric chair. The defense had one option, and they took it. They argued that Patricia accidentally died from choking on her own vomit. The remaining injuries were simply accidents. The defense claimed that Patricia died from asphyxiation on the sidewalk during the original assault. So it was a corpse that crawled 50 feet to the street? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes they, they, they have great imagination. <laughs> And they argued that since Patricia was already dead, the kidnapping and rape charges would not apply because you cannot rape a corpse. I think it's called necrophilia, isn't it? Yes, there is a thing. Or is that just sex with a dead person and not necessarily a crime? I'm really not sure. (laughs) (laughs) Can you find out? No. (laughs) Limley then testified on his own behalf. So he admitted, and he admitted this to the police, that he had assaulted Patricia Shannon, transporting her to the parking lot afterwards. He also testified that he remembered removing Patricia's clothing. Now, when he was arrested, he admitted these things, and he could not give the officers any explanation for his actions. So, of course, that was brought out at trial as well. He also testified that he had been a heavy drinker and drug user in the past and had been drinking and using drugs on the night he attacked Patricia. Almost two weeks after trial began... After deliberating for only four hours and 45 minutes, the three-judge panel reached their decision. Their verdict? Patricia Shannon died accidentally. Limley was convicted of involuntary manslaughter, and the judges also found him guilty of attempted rape and kidnapping, but not aggravated robbery. Needless to say, this was a huge disappointment for the prosecution because involuntary manslaughter essentially means that he had no intent to kill another person. But due to their actions while committing another crime, they caused the death of a human being. So it takes out the intent component. Which I honestly reading this, it made me so angry to see this. That you smoked a pack of Marlboros? <laughs> no, that I'm still recovering from COVID. <laughs> but it made me so angry to see this because uh, how can you say that? Any of his actions, he went and parked his car somewhere else right. and came back. He assaulted her, put her in his car, drove her someplace. On put, the hood of his car. Put her on the hood. And then when she was, and then, you know, hit the pole, she was dumped onto the gravel in this church parking lot and he drove away. So... At some point during the commission of the crime, I mean, my argument would have been like, even if his first interaction with her was somehow this spontaneous event that was not planned, when he parked his car and came back after evidence that she was still alive, 
all, you know, no. All bets are off. Exactly. All bets are off. But I had also read, though, that this is exactly why the defense attorneys wanted to go to the three-judge panel, because they knew a jury wouldn't understand technicalities. Right. But the three-judge panel would, which... That's, Kathy, that's exactly right. So if you want to parse out legal elements and it's it's a rather sophisticated argument and you want somebody to do it in a non-emotional way you want the judge or this panel if you have maybe less strong arguments but a lot of emotion would less strong be weaker (laughs) (laughs) that's another word for less strong (laughs) but if you want to play on emotion and you want emotion to carry the day you go to a jury can you imagine how her family felt when they heard this? I can't. I can't. It's, and, it's devastating. Yeah. And I never had the pleasure of meeting her or knowing her. Right. And and here's the thing about this three-judge panel. I, I'm kind of like getting nerdy at this point. But in a trial, as we have talked about before, juries and judges, if they're the ones who are hearing the trial, they engage in factual disputes. They have to decide factual disputes. So with this three-judge panel... If there was a factual dispute, only two of the judges had to agree on it. However, whatever the facts were that they have they have parsed out and determined to be truthful is going to create the verdict. It's going to create their final decision. And so they had to three of them had to agree unanimously on the decision but, on the verdict, but not necessarily how they got there. That is correct. And and we don't know details behind this case. We have no idea if one of the judges was like Whoa, no, 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 no. That's a misreading of the facts. We don't know. So two out of three can agree on the factual disputes, but all three had to agree on the verdict and the sentencing. The sentences imposed by the judges on the three guilty verdicts were to be served consecutively. So they would be added onto one another rather than they would all be served at the same time. Right. It was back to back to back to back. In total, Limley received a sentence of 19 to 65 years in prison. Limley also received credit for time he'd already spent in jail, which was about six months at this point, as well as any additional time he spent in jail awaiting transfer to the prison to begin his sentence. According to an article in the Marysville Journal Tribune on December 15th, 1982, which by the way, Kathy, before I get to what they said, we use newspapers.com to get information from prior years. Right. There was Precious little on this entire case. I saw no coverage of the trial. I saw no coverage of even anything that happened when Patricia was attacked in the first place and nothing about sentencing Jack Limley. I I thought I agree with you, Kathy. It was really hard. I mean, by the grace of God, you were able to get me a a case number on it. Right. So, you know, we were able to... By the grace of God or through my really good investigating skills? Oh, I think it was God's grace. (laughs) (laughs) But, But anyway... Because you were able to get the case number, we were able to do a public records request. So the court in Ohio was so fast in turning around our records request for things that were microfiched. And if you don't know what that is, yeah, exactly. ask, ask your, your parents. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Ask your grandma when she used to go to the library and look at microfiche. But anyway, so most of our stuff here comes from the court's record. Right. And where it hasn't been, we're either citing it in the newspaper or we cited blockparole.com. Right. Okay, so according to this article that I just cited, members of the Columbus chapter of the National Organization for Women were very vocal expressing their anger at the three-judge panel. According to now Representative, 
National Organization for Women, Representative Billy Kahn, Patricia was victimized twice, first by Jack Limley, who brutally beat and strangled her, and then Patricia was the victim of the three-judge panel who, quote, found that the vicious killing of a female was not serious enough to be called murder. The judge's decision was unconscionable injustice to Patricia Shannon and the women of this community, end quote. A now member was also quoted as saying that the verdict gives men the permission to choke and beat women as long as they don't really mean to do it. You know, I saw in my research, despite the fact that there was very little out there, there was some article. I came across a newsletter from an Ohio State women's, I think it was a women's club. And so I know that the National Organization for Women on Ohio State had a candlelight vigil for Patricia. Wow, that's nice. Yeah. Police officers were very confused at the judge's decision. One investigator on the case, who asked not to be identified, said that the judges owed the public an explanation for their decision. He said police officers who were involved in the case were all trying to figure out where did they go wrong. What a nightmare. You think you have a slam dunk case and he... Well, and you know, for the police officers, especially the ones who found her, this was personal. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? And so with all the evidence they collected, with all of the investigating that they did, it all comes to less than it should have been. For sure. According to another article in the Marysville Journal Tribune on December 16, 1982, two of the judges, Jay Flowers and George Tyak, said that Limley's failure to use a knife he had with him when he attacked Patricia Shannon was the key to their decision. Judge Flowers said that it was one of those rare circumstances. If he'd used a weapon, there would have been no question. Judge Tyak also said to the paper that he wasn't convinced the killing was, quote, purposeful. Judge Williams, the third judge, never discussed the case after the verdict, and neither Judge Flowers nor Judge Tyak ever publicly discussed their decisions again. Probably because they received so much derision. Reading between the lines, honestly, because it is really reading between the lines, I think that the defendant had a knife on him, and their position is, hey, he was drunk, he was high, This was a spur-of-the-moment thing. It was not premeditated, and we can tell it wasn't premeditated by the fact that he didn't pull a knife on her and use it. I think the single fact that shows premeditation is that he hid his car from sight and walked back to her. Right, and it was across a freeway overpass, which I don't know Ohio's freeways in the 80s, but I'm assuming it's at least four lanes and a center divider, which means he had time to, I don't know, go home. Right anonymously call the police, anything, anything. Or or, or even just go drink somewhere else because he just killed somebody. You know, so so maybe the first part of the crime was a crime of opportunity. It wasn't premeditated or whatever. But everything after he hid his car, in my opinion, shows intent. Yes, shows intent. Shows intent. Yep. When Jack Limley killed Patricia Shannon, he was no stranger to the court system, which is not particularly surprising. As a youth, Limley had been arrested for trespassing, intoxication, and curfew violations, truancy, joyriding, auto theft, things like that. He spent time at a maximum security juvenile facility. It was there he started using drugs. According to Limley, he was released and began using marijuana and alcohol heavily. He cleaned up for a while, met his wife, but unfortunately resorted back to his old ways. His wife was seven months pregnant at the time when he fell into his old habits and he left her. Two months later, he killed Patricia Shannon. 
Jack Lemley appealed his conviction, stating there had been two errors. The first alleged error was the conviction on involuntary manslaughter and the underlying felonies of kidnapping and attempted rape. He was saying they constituted double jeopardy, the conviction on all three. And the Court of Appeal was like, nope, they're too dissimilar. You're guilty of all of them, essentially. The second error he alleged was that he should not have been convicted of attempted rape because the acts necessary to show it were committed after Patricia Shannon died. However, the chief pathologist, Dr. Patrick Fadal, testified that the internal hemorrhaging in Patricia's neck was caused by severe external pressure or strangulation that could have occurred 10, 15, or 20 minutes after she had initially been struck in the head at the abduction site and rendered unconscious. He said that all of these injuries were sustained prior to her death and that his examination supported the conclusion that Patricia was alive very close to, if not up to, the time police intervened. As a result, the Court of Appeals ruled that there was ample evidence presented that the attempted rape occurred while she was alive. Limley went through a series of appeals but was smacked down at every turn But he did manage to sue the state of Ohio twice. For what? (laughs) Once in 1997 because he did not want to pay a co-payment for his health care. What? 30 cents was too much for him at the time? I know. Seriously. Seriously. I mean, I'm assuming prisoners get a reduced rate. I I can't imagine that prison care is very expensive. (laughs) Yeah, I can't either. (laughs) The other time was in 2007 when Limley claimed to be an American Indian. He and six other inmates wanted tom-toms, rattles, feathers, headbands, sacred pipes, and medicine bags, and other items so they could practice their religion. Really, he had too much time on his hands. Yeah, he doesn't necessarily strike me as a man who respects religion. But anyway. Jack Limley had a parole hearing on January 10th, 2022. So five days before we're recording this. Right. The Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Corrections denied parole and Limley won't be eligible again for 10 years in 2032, and he'll be 74 years old. I have to say for somebody who is charged with manslaughter, he's getting serious time. So that's good. Well, I think part of it, Kathy, though, is that he has refused to acknowledge that any attempted rape occurred. So he has not taken any of the required classes for sexual predators. Right. Because when you go to a parole hearing, they don't they don't want to hear that you're innocent. You know, they're basically assuming that the process worked properly and they're just, what have you done since you've been in prison? Have you been a problem inmate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What are you doing to improve yourself? Correct. So this case provides a very good example of how there is always a lifelong impact when a family member is murdered. We became aware of this case because one of our friends was very close to Shelly Shannon who was one of the victim's sisters. Kelly Rodriguez was the former interim chief of the Huntington Beach Police Department and worked with Shelly for 25 years before Shelly passed away. Kelly Rodriguez has been a friend for many, many years to both of us. And so uh, she's awesome. We're going to call she her is awesome. the chief. The chief, exactly. <laughs> the chief. <laughs> she makes us call her that, but we, won't, we weren't supposed to tell anyone. <laughs> exactly. I have to ask permission not to call her chief when we're out socially. <laughs> The chief brought us this case because she had worked with Patricia's sister 
and Jack Limley was up for this parole hearing that happened on January 10th. And they were putting together letters to send to the parole board to stop this man from getting out. I do know that she is very diligent that when any parole hearing comes up, Margaret steps up and writes letters, etc. In fact, in the court's records, there was a letter to Margaret addressed to a judge saying, and I think this was in right around 1996, and it basically said, hey, judge, my sister's killer is having a parole hearing. Would you please write a letter recommending against release? And Patricia's sister, Margaret, has obviously stayed very vigilant. We found out from Chief Rodriguez that Margaret was on a Zoom with block parole and a victim witness advocate with respect to the recent parole hearing that just took place. And also on the Zoom, which I found fascinating, was a district attorney who had been involved in the prosecution of Patricia's case. And apparently this DA, I don't know the name of the DA, has been aware and present for or communicating with the parole board for every hearing. What's key about that is after leaving the prosecutor's office, he became a judge. Right. Apparently, this gentleman has always reached out to Margaret right around the anniversary of her sister's death. But remember, this case came to us because Chief Rodriguez worked with Shelley, Patricia's sister. Basically, Chief Rodriguez told us that Shelley's passion in life is putting bad guys behind bars. Shelley became a crime scene investigator for, first of all, for the Santa Ana Police Department. Then she transferred to Huntington Beach. And this is how Chief Rodriguez came in contact with Shelley, and they wound up becoming friends. And it was when Chief Rodriguez was just a young patrol person. But she also became a crime scene investigator, not only because she wanted to go into the criminal field. We also learned from Chief Rodriguez that while Shelley didn't want to be a police officer, it was important to her to be in the criminal field in order to track down the bad guys and make sure there was evidence that showed that they were connected to something. Yeah. Chief Rodriguez told us that Shelly worked for Huntington Beach for 25 years. And she must have used the word tenacious, Kathy, like what, six times yeah, during the some, conversation? At least that. Well, and Chief Rodriguez also said that she was responsible for convicting many felons. If you looked at her personnel file, there were hundreds of commendations. So tenacious she was. And one example was that in Huntington Beach, there had been a murder at a 99 cent store. This was about 15 years ago. After detectives had gone home, Shelly scoured the neighborhood and found the glove that the suspect was wearing. And she was able to process it for DNA. And they were able to find the person. Back in an era where there was no DNA that was being analyzed Shelley always collected and preserved evidence for the future. And one thing she also said is that Shelley would find partial fingerprints here and there on places that nobody would ever think to look. So she must have gone to every crime scene fresh and just thought, what do I need to do? What can I collect? Anything. She was absolutely vigilant in her time with the Santa Ana Police Department and then the Huntington Beach Police Department. Chief Rodriguez also said that and again, this goes back to what you said, how they're... Lasting be- impact on... Yes, the lasting impact on murder victims' families. The murder of her sister was her driving motivation to put bad guys in jail. And although Chief Rodriguez described Shelley as being happy and bubbling, she called her an amazing person. She suffered extreme depression always during her sister's birthday and on the anniversary of her death. I can't even imagine it. I mean, honestly, as somebody who lost both of my parents Mm -hmm. way too young, 
they actually both died in the same month. It's a hard month for me. I did not experience the murder of them. I honestly can't even imagine what Shelley had to go through every year, almost 40 years. Her job pulled her out of her despair. Like she knew there was more work to do and things that needed to be handled. She was working for good and helping other families not suffer what they suffered. Exactly. And although I don't know the details, I know that Patricia had a brother who suffered traumatic emotional distress after her murder. Which is understandable. It it would actually be less understandable if he didn't. Correct. Shelly Shannon died about five years ago, and Chief Rodriguez said, quote, I made a promise to Shelly before she passed away that I'd continue to fight on her behalf to keep Jack Limley in jail. Margaret, Shelly and Patricia's sister, called me to say thank you. She had good news. She had just gotten off the phone with parole, and Jack Limley was denied. He will not see another opportunity for another 10 years. So in another 10 years... The fight to keep him in prison will continue. Thank you for listening. If you liked us. And you better like us at this point. (laughs) Please rate, review, and subscribe. It really does help us get the word out about our podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Destinations Podcast. And tell a friend. But only if they're worthy. (laughs) 